Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we are coming to you with the penultimate prediction episode. We've gone through five of the six divisions here so far. Today we have the American League Central. And then next week, just before opening day, which is one week from today, it'll be April 1st, we'll be bringing you a a kind of opening day preview type episode all about excitement, making some long-term predictions, um, making some accolades. Yeah, well, who knows what's going to be in that episode? We might have a little bit for you. Can, can we just take another second to, to focus on the fact that you just said next week is opening day? It's That's almost here. Great fun. point. It's almost here. It's been, it seems like it's been a longer winter than most, even though in time it's been shorter because we never really got our fill last season, right? Like we got a taste of major league baseball. I know we played the playoffs. Like I'm thankful for the season, no question, but it just feels even more momentous than uh, normal. Of course, opening day, even if you're not a baseball fan is one of the greatest days of the year. There's a great atmosphere to it. And it's also a signal that the spring and the summer are coming like just the funnest times of the year here the winter with its uh unique charms is fading away and we're ready to play ball so i'm excited the other thing i'm excited about Aaron, is you know i think with with vaccinations coming i think we're gonna go to a baseball game this summer i know we're gonna go to a baseball i, game I think it's summer. gonna happen and i'm i'm really excited for that I, in fact, will be vaccinated on Wednesday, Sam. So oh, the time is coming close. Before we get into the American League Central, I did want to, most people's fantasy drafts will be happening this weekend. Um, and so I did want to try and touch on one more topic. I know that I didn't really give you guys uh, kind of a full fantasy look, but this isn't a fantasy podcast. Like we love to talk about it. I love it, but th- that's not the purpose of the podcast. We talk all around baseball. So Um, I did want to try and leave you with some parting thoughts here. Um, And I wanted to talk about spring training stats because really uh, there are people out there who want to look at spring training stats and they want to, you know, make them mean the world. They want to say CJ Crone has a seven, six, seven slug this spring. He is, he should be a fifth round pick. Right. And, Those people are wrong, but there are also a group of people out there. And I think this is actually the more populist group that says, do not even look at what happened in spring training. It is worthless and meaningless. And while that's less wrong, it's still wrong. There are important things that happen in spring training that you need to keep your eyes on. But I think number one above everything is usage. So when it comes to pitchers and when it comes to hitters, you want to see where they are in the lineup. You want to see the type of situations and the type of pitch counts that pitchers are given. And of course, there's no such thing as a high leverage situation in spring training. So I'm not talking about if if a closer is not coming in in the ninth, you need to start getting worried. No, that's not the point. The question is, where does the manager seem to want to get them reps at? Right? Is it the top, the hard-hitting part of a team's lineup? Is it the bottom? Are they easing them into something? There are indicators all over spring training for you to try and determine what type of role a player will have on a team moving forward. And when you get outside those first, let's say, 10, 12 rounds, Sam, 
role is extremely, extremely important. Place in a batting order is extremely, extremely important. And as an example of that, today I actually, uh, you know, had a discussion with my brother and had him look this up for me because I was kind of on the fence about where I was putting him in my own rankings. I'm thinking about Andrew Benintendi, a guy who has a 20 homer season under his belt, a guy who easily could be a 300 hitter in the league, but a guy who has been extremely underwhelming in both average counting stats and power in the past before, and somebody who's fallen really, really low on the draft board, in my opinion. So I'm thinking, you know, what type of value am I giving him compared to somebody else who's a bit of an unknown, say Ramon Laureano, who's going much higher, um, but a lot of consensus expert rankings have them closer together a little bit. And part of that consideration is where does Andrew Benintendi hit in that lineup? Because if Andrew Benintendi hits eighth in that Royals lineup, I feel very, very differently about it than if he hits at the top. I got to say, that would be a pretty precipitous drop for Andrew Benintendi if he's hitting eighth in the Royals lineup. That lineup is actually like low-key kind of stacked, depending on how you feel about Adalberto Mondesi. Right, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about the Royals. Yeah, I also understand what you're saying. But so they've they've been hitting him too every single game so far that he's played in the spring, and that means a lot. Um, the other thing that means a lot is K rate and walk rate. And actually, uh, the Ringer did an article in 2019 that looked at correlations in spring significance from 26, 2006 to 2018, and they found that the K percentage correlated about 98 percent, and the walk was about 88 percent. That's significant. Sorry, correlated to what? To the in-season performance for that season. Really? I mean, that seems like massive correlation. I mean, it doesn't doesn't surprise me that those things are going to matter. Well, I don't have confidence that uh, their regression was was up to snuff necessarily, but I, I do think that if you ignore the error on that coefficient, it could have come out as something like 98. Because if you think about it, and if you think about historical performance, there are a lot of guys who actually show that the one thing that they need to have down in the spring is they need to be walking. They need to be seeing the ball. And if they're not, if they're swinging out of their shoes, they can't do it. Um, yeah, I mean, so- it, it certainly doesn't surprise me that those stats would be the like the most important ones to look at in spring training because... I mean, we certainly know that they stabilize faster than anything else. Right. Uh, so, so if, if you're going to see a change in a, in a hitter or you, you certainly expect to see it, you, you certainly expect to get more signal than noise out of those stats than say like any, any contact stats. Exactly. And so when you look at K's this spring, because of course MLB doesn't even do you the justice of turning it into a K rate. They just give you volume strikeout numbers which could not be there is no more meaningless stat but just looking at rough k rates since most of these guys have similar ibs like obviously there's guys on here that shouldn't scare you you know bobby dahlbeck if you're a huge dahlbeck fan shouldn't scare you on there like he's gonna k you know what type of hitter he is you're not hoping that he turns into ted williams miguel sano is going to k jorge soler is going to k like those type of guys shouldn't even raise an eyebrow But a guy who does raise an eyebrow to me, and it doesn't necessarily make me move him on my rankings, but it does make me consider, uh, you know, a little bit what we might get out of him this year is Victor Robles. 
there's a lot of people out there who are clamoring for Victor Robles season this season where he's extremely productive. And while that's obviously still possible, despite striking out 17 times in 16 games in the in spring training, um, I just think that it's, it's important for him as a player to be fantasy relevant for him to be a lot less Homer happy, like he, like a lot less three true outcome, um, which he, yeah, well, because because the outcomes for him are, are very rarely are, home runs. So. Well, actually, more importantly, they're also very rarely walks. Yeah. So yeah. he turns into a one true outcome player. Um, and obviously that's a problem. And so the only guy on there that I want you guys to keep an eye on is Victor Robles. I'm not telling you don't draft him if you believe in him, whatever. But I am saying those are the type of spring training stats that I look at and I say, maybe we're not seeing the change that we need to coming into the season from this type of person. Let me let me add one more caveat. Don't look at spring training stats except for Pete Alonso because that that dude's locked in right now and it's going into the season. On the other hand, two guys who are at the very very top of the walk list are two of my favorite low value fantasy buys right now. I am targeting both of these players in my draft. And that's Aaron Hicks and Mark Canna. J.D. Davis, in fairness, has the same number. And so does Mauricio Dubon. Those are four guys who I love at the prices they're going in drafts right now. And to see them all walking with this level of consistency, none of them are hitting above 300, but their average means absolutely nothing to me over a 30 AB sample size. I couldn't care less. There's nothing I could care less about. But to see them walk consistently is a good sign to me. So take that for what it's worth. But don't throw spring training out altogether. The more data you have, the more of an informed decision and prediction you can make, you know, weight it properly. Say this is, this is only worth a very, very small fraction of what previous performance is worth. But weight it. Put it in there. You know, think about it. For, while we're on the topic, for all you J.D. Davis heads out there, and I think J.D. is a good hitter, the one thing I'd be worried about a how's little bit. How's he in the field, Sam? Not good. And, and, and the one thing I might be a little worried about is volume out of JD because sure. I think if he's not playing well defensively at third, he might split time with, with Luis Guillorme, especially when a guy like Stroman's pitching who, who induces a lot of ground balls or Taiwan Walker. And he's also going to be taken out as a defensive replacement in a lot of games when the Mets are winning. So, you know, that might be losing in that bat when he's, when he's in. So just, just a word to the wise there. I do think Sam, and I know you don't know this because you're not really into fantasy. His price really reflects that. I I think that there's consensus that if he were for sure going to get 600 plate appearances this season, he would be drafted probably in the top 10 rounds, but just the fact that he's going to be lucky to get 450, I think um, makes it, really difficult to take him anywhere higher than like 15, 16. The, the one thing I'll say though, is if he hits like he did in 2019, just from the start of the season, it's going to be awfully hard to keep him out of the lineup. And then you might start seeing the plague appearances go up and it's going to be coupled with incredible production. Well, so, no, but I, I still don't think you do Sam, just because you're 100% right about being taken out late in games. He can easily lose one to two ABs on average per game from a combination of off days and just not hitting in the, after the seventh inning in most games. Yeah. Um, Certainly possible. But yeah. So 
Anyway, that's my little fantasy pitch. As usual, if you guys have anything you want to hear about during the season, I will be hitting you with hot waiver wire pickups. I I live on the waiver wire. Um, we'll also be talking daily fantasy, as we mentioned. Um, and of course, we still do have Twitch coming down the pipeline. Um, and so we don't want you to sleep on that. But for now, find us on Twitter at the Alonzo Bet or email us thealonzobet at gmail.com. Um, and let's talk AL Central, Sam. This is a division that I certainly wouldn't say we've saved the best for last, but this is a respectable division with some good competition and one real rebuilding team. But I think that unlike some teams in the bigs that are in last place in their division, they're at a more clear part of their rebuild. They're at a part of their rebuild where you can say, okay, they've, they're, they've started to get some building blocks and we'll talk about them, but let's run through the orders. Why don't you start? Um, I'll see where we differ. And then we'll take my order this time since uh, I'm a Midwest boy born and bred. What are you talking about? Uh, mid Midwestern Arizona, actually. It's precisely <laughs> where Phoenix is. Um, so as, as, a, as a disclaimer, I, I did prepare this ranking before the news today that Eloy Jimenez will be out the next five to six months, which I think is, is basically the whole season. Uh, which is devastating news for the White Sox. Uh, I haven't given thought to whether or not that changes my ranking, but we can talk it through on this podcast. You know, I also made it without thinking about the Eloy news, but let's actually talk about that first, Sam, because I also have the White Sox first. I'm assuming you put them first. Yeah, I, I, have the White so- I have the White Sox first. And so, then, well, what- should I give the order or do, do you want to talk about Eloy? No, let's talk about Eli because I feel like it's kind of news at the top. Like, let's talk about it. And then we'll talk about how it impacts the team. But um, why don't you run us through, Sam, like what exactly happened? Why is he out five to six months? I think it's it's a torn pectoral muscle, right? That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. So, or sorry, not torn, ruptured. For some reason, when you hear that something was ruptured, it sounds so much worse than it being torn. It just It just sounds disgusting. Yeah, I don't know physiologically what the difference is, but it does sound so much worse. Yeah, but uh, Eloy, you know, he's probably going to miss basically the whole season. I guess it's possible that he ends up playing, you know, coming back in September or something. If the White Sox end up in the playoffs, maybe he ends up playing in the playoffs. Uh, But this is a big loss for the White Sox. I mean... Eloy is a guy who looked good his rookie season, 116 WRC plus, looked really good at the plate last year, 140 WRC plus, shows really great power. He's an absolute dumpster fire in left field. Uh, so you'd love to see him DH more if, if you could have him DH. Um, but, you know, I, I think this, this is especially relevant for the White Sox because they, as good as they are, they they don't have great depth, and we can talk about that as we as we get into the them. I mean, like, who's going to play instead of him? Adam Engel, maybe. Like, it, it is going to be Engel, Sam. Um, and before we get into the White Sox roster, I kind of want to talk about the circumstances of the injury because that's become the story here. And it's I don't know why, but it's actually really bothered me. So he suffered this injury trying to rob a homer in spring training, and there's been a lot of criticism of him for saying, why would you like try to make 
that play in such a meaningless game. Like it doesn't mean anything. And it's really frustrating to me because it feels like, and especially with these young Latin guys, like if we're going to be honest, it feels like they can't win. They, you know, they kind of just focus on hitting and dog it in the field a little bit, including Eloy. And they're told that, you know, they can't play defense. They don't have a work ethic to learn to play defense. And then they go out and they try to have fun and play an actual baseball game and make baseball plays. And they're told, like, why are you trying so hard? We need you at the plate. It, it's just like, I, the Chicago Tribune printed an article that basically said that. I, I haven't seen that. I mean, that that is like an absolutely boneheaded, like Skip Bayless level take. Like, like how, mean, are you, how are you supposed to guess that you're going to tear your pectoral muscle trying to rob a home run? It's just a fluke accident. Even Rick Hahn was like, I'm not going to kick a player while he's down, but like, what are you talking about, Rick Hahn? You, you, you want yeah, to? I, I sort of agree with you that, like, you, you, I don't know if you hear them say that about Adam Eaton doing that in right field. Right. It, yeah. I mean, and given Adam Eaton doesn't mean the same thing to their roster, but think if it was Mike Trout. If Mike Trout tried to do that in a game, they'd be like, well, you can't fault him for, for working hard every play. Like, it's just it's just kind of frustrating to read. And Eloy's a guy who, like, his value is severely limited by his inability to play the field. And if he's out there giving effort in a spring training game, that, that you want that. You need that as the White Sox. Like, to even remotely suggest that you are upset at him for doing it, I think is absolutely ludicrous and absolutely disrespectful to him um but you know that that's the way it is right now and now let's talk about their roster a little bit sam oh well, but before we do why don't we go through the yeah, okay. the rest of the team so i mean i think it's clear that the white Sox and twins are the top two teams in this division agreed i i mean i i'm now gonna think about putting the twins ahead of the white Sox without eloy i i'm not saying i'm gonna do it but they're very close um, they were close to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Um, third, I have the Indians, um, who, despite trading away their best or second best player, are still fine. Uh, fourth, I have the Royals, who, in in typical Royals fashion, will win seventy six games uh, and give and mortgage their future to do so right and um, not prepare themselves to actually win a world series in the future and i i can't believe they won the 2015 world series M- moving on <laughs> and then i have i have the tigers uh in fifth who you sort of referenced but but as you referenced while the tigers are not going to be competitive this year they're building themselves a very bright future um so but but with that let's let's jump back into the white Sox. so and I do want to kind of, if you're okay with it, continue on that train of talking about Eloy Jimenez really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Because you mentioned that they don't have a lot of depth. And I actually don't agree with that. The problem is the one place they lack depth is the outfield. They do have a decent amount of depth, both in pitching and in the infield. But they just do not have depth in the outfield. I mean, is Adam Angle a major league? Uh, it's Lurie Garcia because Adam Angle actually is also injured with a hamstring thing day to day. But they'll probably end up splitting time in general. That's at least what Fangraph depth chart thinks. But those are both major league players. And before Eloy goes down, you say actually they have a decent amount of depth because you kind of sum those two 
to one like very solid backup. But now that they're thrust into a timeshare as everyday player, they have their qualities, but neither of them are good. I I think the White Sox end up making a trade for another outfielder. I think they have invested too much in being contenders this year to ride with those guys every day. Yeah, you could be right, Sam. But the question is, well, here's an interesting idea. You know who's a free agent? Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig. Yeah. I, I don't know if Yasiel's ready to play baseball, and my feeling is he's not because no major league team has even reportedly had significant interest in him that I've read about. But if he were, that's a really interesting option for them. It's not like they're upgrading too much in defense, but they weren't planning on having strong defense in the position that Eloy Jimenez was playing. And Yasiel Puig is always a threat to be a productive major league player with the bat. So, you know, it's not a big deal, but no one else wants him. Sign him for something non-guaranteed, and if he doesn't play, sack him. It's not a big deal. Yeah, uh, but... You know, outside of now this hole in their lineup, I think you got to absolutely love the rest of their lineup. I mean, we're talking about the reigning AL MVP and Jose Abreu at first base. I mean, I don't think he is actually that level of player, but he's still obviously a very good hitter. Uh, Yes. Okay. I like no slander to him. It's just that to win the MVP at first base is not something that really happens all that. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jose, Jose Abreu is not one of the, He's not one of the 10 best players in the American League, but he got really hot over 60 games and he won. Well, but he might be one of the 10 best hitters in the American League. I mean, he just has consistently been a machine every year of his career, basically. Yeah, yeah, I, I could. I could he's driven in 100 runs in every full season he's ever played. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to slander Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is a good player. He's just, but yes, you're yeah. you're right that he's not like he's not on the short list of, of Mike Trout every year. Yeah. Uh, but, Grandal. Maybe the second best catcher in baseball. Maybe the best, you could argue. Moncada is a guy who was really, really good in 2019. Down season uh, last year. But had a big of a down season last year, but to be honest... He was on the record as actually really struggling with COVID, talking about it repeatedly, how much COVID affected him. Yeah, um, I, I'm not worried. About I'm not particularly Moncada. worried about Moncada. Uh, this is also a guy who, by the way, was a top, top prospect, a 70 yeah. future value from Fangraphs. This was the number one prospect in the Red Sox system um, yeah. in the Chris Sale trade. And uh, he has he has actually come close to living up to the hype, and I expect him to continue to do so. Yeah. Uh, Luis Robert, obviously very impressive rookie season. I think he's only going to get better. The sky's the limit for that guy. Tim Anderson, but the, but the but the basement's the floor, Sam. I'm not sure about that. I mean, I I think I think how good he is defensively actually makes his floor quite high. So true, so true. The 32 percent K rate that he posted last year makes his his uh, ceiling a little lower than we'd like. But that's something you can learn. That's a learn skill. Uh, Tim Anderson obviously has turned into one of like a very surprising star in this league. You're surprised. I'm surprised, yeah. How do you think I feel? <laughs> and then, look, and I'm going to go on record saying it again. It's impossible that Tim Anderson hits 300 this year. I don't understand how he's doing it. He had a 399 BABIP in 2019. He had a 383 BABIP in 2020. If he does it again, Sam, I, he'll just be the first person that I've ever tr- 
truly believe defies all the statistics that we've collected on him. Uh, and then, you know, Nick Madrigal, you know, top pick in the draft a few years ago, hasn't done much at the major league level yet, but there's a lot to like in him as a player. Like, I think he's going to be a solid everyday player in this league. Um, and then, you know, Adam Eden is, uh, again, not, I mean, he's not amazing, but I, he's, he's fine. I don't know why they signed him, but now the signing is much more important. You know, we talked about like, I don't really get why they're signing him. Um, Now, I mean, they're probably happy to have him. Oh, for sure. And, you know, okay. So as far as the lineup goes, that's, that's a very good lineup. Uh, Now let's talk about the pitching because the pitching I think Giolito is an absolute stud. I think he's, 100%. He, he's, he's probably like one of the two or three favorites to win the AL Cy Young this year. 100%. Lance Lynn, just every year, last few years, very good pitcher. He's, he, he is the definition of a two in this league. And I think he's a horse. Yeah. He's an absolute horse and with, a, with okay ratios. At the end of the day, invaluable in this league. I think they're, you know, I think the the Lancelin trade is going to do them wonders. Keuchel had a bit of a renaissance last year. He was pretty good. I'm still a bit skeptical that. I mean, I don't think he's going to be bad this year. I I I'm skeptical he's more than like a three or four, but he he's the least of their worries. Keuchel's a good pitcher. Yeah, the thing with Keuchel is like Sam. His floor is a four ERA. Right, like ever since he became good, basically his whole career, besides his first his age twenty four and age twenty five seasons, he's just been super super reliable to push two hundred innings with good, really good ratios because he keeps the ball in the yard. Yeah, so so those three guys are nice. Like that's a good top three in your rotation. After them, I think it does get a little thin, and there's a lot of high upside guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's no one that you necessarily are are very like you're gonna pencil them in for 150 good innings. And I mean that's the case for a lot of good teams. It's it's hard to find good fourth and fifth starters. That's why they're fourth and fifth starters. But you know, let's talk about some of these guys. Dylan Cease. I, I know you, you're a big Dylan. <laughs> Cease. You're, you're, we, uh, if if you're a new listener to the Alonzo bet, last year we had a little incident where just before my draft, I promised Sam under no circumstances would I draft Dylan Cease, and then I proceeded to draft Dylan Cease. So um, we have a bit of history there. Are you going to draft Dylan Cease this year? Dylan Cease is not on my board this year, and the number one issue is usage. I don't believe that he is one of the guys who's going to eat the majority of those innings. So depth charts Fangraphs has him as their fourth biggest innings eater at 125 innings. And while I see that as a possibility, I just think if Reynaldo Lopez is is healthy and they have him all the way down there, Reynaldo Lopez is the most reliable of these four pitchers. So we haven't named him yet, but they have Dylan Cease, Carlos Rodon, Michael Kopech, and Reynaldo Lopez kind of jockeying for two positions in the rotation. Michael, think, Michael Kopech is my player to watch. Oh, okay. Let's talk about him in a second then, because he obviously has just tremendous upside. He has like top of the top upside. But Reynaldo Lopez is really the guy who, and he's had some injury problems, no question, but he's really the guy who's 
pitched 188 innings twice in his career. To suggest that there's anybody more likely to eat the majority of those innings is insane. In 2018, he pitched 188 innings and had a 390 ERA. Like, if they get that out of a four or a five spot, they're going to be thrilled. I, I, I'm very confused. How did Ronaldo Lopez have a 2.3 war in 2019 with a 5.04 FIP? I mean, maybe 100 and 184 innings with low strikeout and high walk rates. You ask a great question, Sam. I mean, maybe like, is the White Sox park a, a really good hitters park? Uh, yeah, only, it's pretty good. That's that's the only explanation that some park adjustment is getting him to league average p- pitching to a five fifth. I that, that's a bit puzzling to me. Um, yeah. And his FIP has never been good. Even in the 391 season, his FIP was four and a half. Last year was seven, six, three. And I think people are giving up on him, but it's a 26 inning sample size. I, I would honestly, I wish I could bet this on, on some site. I would put him over 130 innings, almost guaranteed, even though depth charts has him at, at, at 40. They have him at 46 innings. Yeah. So the guy I'm most interested in in this rotation is, is Michael Kopech because he was considered an absolute stud when he came over in the, it was in the Chris sale trade, right? Um, it was yeah. a lot. Wow. I mean, th- has there ever been a return as big as, as Moncada and Kopech in terms of like prospects like that is, that's pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, it was, a, it was a huge return. I mean, it was groundbreaking at the time. Yeah. Obviously, he went down with Tommy John, and he's just now working working his way back. But the talent is the talent is there. He's he's got you know a a, a really good fastball, really high fastball spin rate, ninety eighth percentile when he came up in twenty eighteen. Has a good mix of breaking pitches. So like like Aaron said, the sky's the limit with this guy if he can put it together coming back from injury. And I think if he can turn into the type of pitcher that he was billed to be uh, as a prospect that changes this White Sox rotation a lot because then they're four deep and they're, they, they can do a little mixing at five. I'm still not sold on Carlos Rodon as a starter. I just, I think he needs a third pitch, but I, I don't, I, I don't think he's, but I mean, I don't think he's got a shot. Really. I, I mean, at some point, why not just, I, I think you've mentioned this idea before, like why not try to turn him into a relief ace? Uh, there's literally no, he's, he's like, he could be Carlos Martinez in the bullpen. It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, but the, the bullpen, uh, I actually really like the, the White Sox bullpen. I think it's really good. Um, it's a really interesting mishmash of, I mean, I don't want to say nobody's outside of Liam Hendricks, but guys that you just never think of, they never come to your mind, but they all perform Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, Garrett Crochet, Jace Fry. All guys who have Gary Crochet throws absolute gas for all you guys that that didn't didn't catch him sort of come up last season. Gary Crochet is sick. Yeah, but Sam, I I do want to talk about Kopech for a sec because my player to watch is the more interesting prospect on the White Sox roster, Andrew Vaughn. And before I get to him, I do want to discuss. Kopech, because while the sky's the limit for Kopech, I think the question right now is not skill or even polish, although there is a polish question, but that's something I think the White Sox could live with considering their other options at even, let's just say, five. 
The question with Kopech is like dedication. He got really weird in the middle of his Tommy John and like started talking about how like he didn't really know if he wanted to play baseball. He opted out of last season altogether just for the sake of opting out. And I'm not faulting him for that, right? Like, I think it's super important that you like have a good relationship with your work life in general. And for baseball players, that can be super hard. There was actually an amazing article in the Tampa Bay Chronicle or Sentinel um, this morning by Mark Tompkin about uh, a raised reliever who like on his path to understanding his relationship with the game, whatever. Good article. Same situation here where Kopech like was like, I don't want to play baseball. I'm not interested in baseball. And if that's the case, that's fine. But that always concerns me. There are guys like that in the league who are quite good. Anthony Rendon comes to mind, a guy who just notoriously hates playing baseball, but is so good at it for some reason. Um, I feel like I feel like you've in, you've invented this idea that Anthony Rendon, like every day he wakes up and is just he's devastated that he has to go to the ballpark. Anthony and Rendon. This, this this is like this is this is a, a complete fabrication out of you. Anthony Rendon, I don't watch baseball. It's too long and boring. But that doesn't mean he hates playing. <laughs> so, Michael Kopech, not on that level, but um, there are questions about it. And that's, I think, going to be the difference maker. If this is the season, and that's so volatile, like it's so powerful, but if this is the season that Kopech is like, I'm here to play ball, and he plays up to his skill level, that's a game changer for the White Sox and makes the discussion with the Twins totally null and void. But let's talk about the other guy who is he's in. He's in it to win it right now. And he has already been named to the opening day roster before the Jimenez injury. And considering how many DH at-bats Jimenez was going to get, now he's really in there. And that guy is Andrew Vaughn. And the biggest problem with the Jimenez injury is that people will now probably take Vaughn before I have the chance to in my fantasy draft. But this is a guy who came out of college in the 2019 draft. I believe he played in Georgia, but I don't have it in front of me. I don't know for sure. He absolutely tore the minors up and he is going to be a stud from day one. The projections are a little low on him because he's a prospect, but he is a difference maker in their lineup. He is protection for um, your boy, Jose Abreu, who there's a lot of talent in the lineup, but not a ton of protection, right? Like you're not going to hit Yoa Moncada five hole behind um, Jose Abreu. But this is a big part of their lineup, a big target for fantasy people, for guys for maybe a corner infielder, a util spot, now that we know he's playing. Um, and I think a really interesting rookie uh, this year. And I'm going to just make a bold prediction. I know this isn't part of our segment but we we've done some in the past. Here's my bold prediction. Andrew Vaughn ends the season with a higher WRC plus than Luis Robert. Wow. I mean, it's, it's not out of the question. I mean, Robert obviously brings a lot more defensive value than Andrew Vaughn. Uh, well, he's going to DH. So yeah. his defensive value is zero. But, but I mean, so- we're also talking about with Robert, one of the, one of the elite defenders in the league. Uh, oh, for sure. I, I'm not hating on Robert. I'm just saying, yeah. Let me tell you the difference maker for me when I was picking between the White Sox and the Twins. And you can tell me if you went through a similar process. So for me, I look through the Twins and I say, this is a... We're on the Twins now, to be clear. 
What? We're on to the Twins now. We're on to the Twins. All right. If you if you want to say something about the White Sox now, no, no, I I, I think we are gonna move to the Twins. So I look at the Twins and I say this is a good team. Every single person they have playing a position is a major league player. Some of those major league players are very good, and I know everyone in their rotation, and I trust most of them. Like, it's just if you scroll by fast enough, there's no holes, if that makes sense. Whereas in the White Sox, you can scroll and be like, whoa, end of the rotation. Like, whoa, you know, who's playing the outfield right now with Eloy gone? Whoa, who's in middle relief? When you scroll through the Twins, you're just like, oh, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, okay, okay. But then if you look a little closer, like, who's going to get the job done for them this year? So... Miguel Sano at first base, I just don't trust to play a full productive season. Nobody knows what to expect out of Jorge Polanco. Angelton Simmons will field the ball but can't hit. Josh Donaldson might be in a wheelchair or a walker by the end of the uh, season. I How mean, old is he? I mean, but Alex, he was really good last year. Yeah, he's going to be good. actually he's going to be good again. Well, this while year while we're on the topic, I was I was just like looking at Donaldson's Fangraphs page yesterday. I think. And he's at like 43 career war or something. And if you look at his performance base, like he was a very late bloomer. His first good year was like, he was 28 or something. 2015, right? Yeah, it might've been 20, 2014 or 2015. But like basically his output since he turned into a, a good player has been, you know, up there with any player in baseball bar my oh, yeah. crowd. And the way he's aging, like outside of that one year he was injured, I think 2018? 2018, when he got traded. uh, He's gone back to to mashing, and he's not the same like defensive ace that he was when he was younger. He was sick in the field when he was younger. He's still mashing. If he ages gracefully and has like three or four more good seasons, like can we talk about a borderline Hall of Fame case for him? No, he's already a borderline Hall of Cam- Hall of Fame case. I, I don't know, it, like the fact that he he it's only seven years is the thing. Yeah, but that's why he's a borderline. There's guys in the Hall with much less than forty two WAR in their career. Here's the problem for him in the Hall of Fame, and why I don't think he'll ever get in, despite the fact that he has been so so good. And you're right, Sam. He's thirty five years old. He's gonna age gracefully, I believe, way more gracefully than guys like Pujols, but. No offense to Pulos, who's an amazing, you know, he's the machine, but you know what I mean. There's just no way you can think at age 38 he's going to put up a 130 WRC+. plus. Well, what about his, uh, his teammate, Nelson Cruz? They're totally different players. No, I, I know, I know. But let's, but let's talk about Nelson Cruz now. Let's talk about Nelson Cruz because this is a guy who every year somebody says, uh, I mean, you can't buy Nelson Cruz this year. He's, he's going to be 41 before the season ends this season. Well, let me tell you, he was 40 before the season ended last season and had a 164 WRC+. Plus. He was 39 before the full 2019 season ended, and he had a 163 WRC+. Plus. This is a guy who hasn't dipped below 145 since 2015. He's insane. He he's just it it it's beyond reason, and he keep, it's almost like he keeps getting better. He does. Yeah. 
164 is the second best year, of, or 163 was the second best year of his career in 2019. How's your, how's your boy Byron Buxton going to look this year? MVP? It's so funny you say that because um, I was, again, talking with my brother about fantasy today, and I, we were, like, talking about high-risk players. And he's like, well, you know, you can always take Byron Buxton. Like, his ceiling's insane. And I was like, I will never have Byron Buxton on my team again. A- am I going to be sad if somebody uh, gets you, his, you, his you can't, good year? You can't quit Byron Buxton. I know you can't. His price this year is like fairly high. He's going in the top 200 picks this year. And like, I again, obviously, I get why he's one of the few players in the league who legitimately could steal 35 bases if he played a full season. But he's literally played 140 games one time. He's never played more than 100 games any other season in his career. He's just one of those guys, and it's so unfortunate, but he's just one of those guys who's always going to be injured. So that's actually part of my consideration when I look at the Twins. I say they have Byron Buxton slotted for the highest war on the team. I don't believe Byron Buxton will have 588 plate appearances this season. I just don't think they can do it. And so that lineup starts to look actually pretty thin. Sure, there's plenty of power, but there's actually not a lot of oomph in the lineup. And then when you move on to the pitching, Kenta Maeda is the most, one of the three most underrated pitchers in baseball. Jose Barrios is he a was really big, good last year. He's not just really good last year. He's always been good. But he took he took a step last year. Like he went from. I mean, it's the yeah. first year that he ever like pitched a normal full workload since he first came into the league. When yeah. he was also that's his best season. Like yeah. he needs that, I think. And Jose Barrios, a guy who's an absolute horse, he's going to have his ups and downs, no doubt, but he's a very good pitcher. But then, whoa, Michael Pineda, J.A. Hat, Matt Shoemaker? Yeah, lo- What's going on? Losing Ogarizzi did not help. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was honestly the big difference between these teams for me. I think the White Sox lineup is maybe slightly better, but I think they're about even, especially with Jimenez now out but i i like the i like the white Sox uh starting rotation more and i definitely like their bullpen more uh i don't hate the the twins bullpen but i'm actually quite high on the white Sox bullpen i think it's really good yeah i think the i think the twins bullpen is just not as deep as the white Sox bullpen but it's interesting to talk about what makes their stabs different because the white Sox and the the White Sox four and five are more uncertain, I would say, than the Twins four and five. Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker, outside of injury concerns, have more certainty in their production. But the difference between Michael Pineda and Dallas Keuchel is, in my mind, light years. Light years away from one another. And that's no disrespect to Michael Pineda, who's a very good pitcher. But here's another guy who has just really, really had trouble staying on the field. In the last three seasons, he had one season at 146 innings. Nothing else even close. Oh yeah, I mean, I also think Giolito as as the aces like that's a big difference as well. Not and again, no disrespect to Barrios, who's very good, but I Kentamayeda is the ace of that staff in my mind. I'm so high on Kentamayeda this year. It's insane. That, that's fair. I mean, I I'd like to see it again because because. Sure. You know, yeah, Kenta Maeda has always been a good, serviceable pitcher. 
he's never been quite the guy he was in 2020. And that's not to say he can't be again, but you know, I'd, I'd like to see it again before I'm penciling him, him, him in as an ace. Um, sure. But you know, Barrios, the, the twins are really good. And I think if they don't win the central, they're going to win a wild. They're going to win a wild card. I agree. But yeah, I, I think at the margins, the white Sox are a little better. Uh, do you have a player to watch? Mine, let me let me quickly say mine is Luis Arreyes. Uh is that how you pronounce it? Araz, I think, but Araz. He's uh why did you pick him? Because he, I think he's a he's a nice player. Like I think he's gonna hit he's gonna hit over 300 in 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 his 487 career plate appearances. He's hitting 331, 390 on base percentage. It's an 098 ISO. He strikes and out. A four, he strikes and a out. 429 slug. He walks more than he strikes out. He walks. At 9 and 8%. He just never pays, which is an incredibly unique yeah, skill set. I mean, he has a career. I mean, that's fun to watch. Yeah, you're a, right. He has you're a right. career 122 WRC+. I mean, if if he does that at second base, like that's tremendous production. And he's only 23. He's never 24. Done, he, he's 24. 24. He's never done anything but hit. In the minors, he's continued to hit in the majors. You know, not to say they're the same guy, but I, I, I feel like he kind of reminds me of Jeff McNeil. He has a bit more of a pedigree than Jeff McNeil, but in that, like, they're guys who, because they don't, they never had pop, were like sort of cast off as like they're ne- we're never going to trust the results, even though all they did was hit their entire minor league career. But, but Sam. Jeff McNeil could legitimately at any point in his life hit 25 home runs. I Luis Ares, who has hit his whole career, has never at any level of baseball hit more than four home runs in a season. Luis Ares, if he started taking steroids, could hit 10 home runs in a season. <laughs> fair, fair, no, no. I, I, I agree that Jeff McNeil has, has more power than, than Luis Ares. But I, I think... Actually, McNeil's a guy though who who's he he's he's he developed his power really late. Like he never really hit home runs until sort of his last season in the minors, and then uh, he didn't really hit home runs his first season in the majors, and didn't really hit home runs until his second half of his second season in the majors, uh, and then also didn't really hit home runs last year. Uh, that's, I I think I think McNeil's a guy who. It's, it's very much an approach thing when it comes to his power. Like, if he wants to try to hit home runs, he'll hit them. If he mm-hmm. wants to try to hit 350, he'll do that. He, you know, let's not get too into Jeff McNeil as, as much as I'd love to talk about him. But I think they're serious. I, my only point is I think they're similar from the respect of, like, their lack of power production in the minors made people sort of cast them off. But all they ever did was produce and hit. And... People doubted McNeil after 2018, even though he came up and hit, just as he'd done in the minors. And it led, you know, Brody Van Wagenen to then trade Jared Kalenic for Robinson Cano to replace McNeil, which was, we don't need to talk about that. But I'm well, saying, watch Luis Arise. That's the craziest player to watch I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> but I love where your head's at. I actually really like Luis Arise, but. He like in today's game, no one no one really cares what your average is. And there's guys who have a 350 to 380 OBP with much better 
plugging and output. But that said, my player to watch after all the discussion of him was in the end Byron Buxton. Because (laughs) I just want him to be good so bad, Sam. Like, he's so cool. He's so good at playing the outfield. He's so fast. Sometimes he hits the ball so crazy hard. And, like, can we just get a full season out of you? Can I see 600 plate appearances to know that if, you know, are you really always going to hit the ball, like, in the 85th to 90th percentile, like have a 90% hard hit rate and 99% sprint speed and 95 outs above 95 percentile outs above average. Like this guy has all the makings of a five tool player in the league. He, he always pulls the ball. He needs to stop and he needs to play a full season. He can pull the ball all season. If he plays a full season, I'll give him permission this year to do that. But this is a guy who we want to see him play. We want to see who Byron Buxton is because after all these years where he was a huge prospect, I think he was the number one prospect in baseball at one point. After all these years being drafted in 2012, we've still never seen Byron Buxton. Yeah, it's possible. How old is Byron Buxton? Uh, I think he's 26 now or something. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he came up very young, so he's, he's still not that old. No, he's he's definitely not old. I, I was gonna say I guess he's twenty seven now. Yeah, but I mean it's not bad. I'm I'm still I'm not counting out a, a six or seven war season out of Byron Box in one of these days. I don't think it's impossible. Uh, let's talk about the team in the three holes. Oh no, let's talk about the team in the three holes. Yeah, let's talk about the Indians. And of course the biggest story with the Indians is they traded away the face of their franchise in Francisco Lindor. I'm very happy they did so. Uh but that, they had to. Yeah, and let's talk about what they got back. They got back Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario. They they are my two players to watch for the Indians. And because you didn't get to talk about the Mets enough in the NL East preview. Yeah, exactly. But but you know, they traded away Lindor. They weren't going to resign him. Jimenez and Rosario are both controllable up the middle pieces. I think Rosario has the higher upside. I think Jimenez has the higher floor. Jimenez is a very good defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he can get on base. And he he has he's very good contact rate. Uh, Going to put back to the ball. He doesn't have much power. But the question is, can he have a good enough contact profile to being above average hitter? I don't think he's going to walk a ton. Um, but I think Ahmed Rosario, I, sorry, I think Jimenez is like, he's going to be a, a two war player. I think he's going to hit well enough with his defense to be a two war player at his floor, uh, which is, that's nothing to scoff at. I mean, that, no. that's a piece back Rosario. We're talking about a guy who, when he came up was like a top five prospect in baseball and he's just it seemed like he started to put it together second half of 2019 because there's so much talent there. He has such incredible hand-eye coordination. He can get to anything. But I think that gets him in trouble because he is incapable he at of laying off pitches. Yeah, he swings at so literally like, every pitch. Which it's, it's actually quite impressive that he, his strikeout rates are not 
25, 30% because he can't lay off a single pitch. I think it speaks to how good. That's definitely one way to look at it. Yeah. I think it speaks to how, how good his hand-eye coordination is. And he's a guy who's like, he's got quick hands. Like he can turn on a ball that's inside, but a 3% walk rate, it's not going to cut it, especially when you're not hitting for more power, when you put the ball in play. So I think, I think he's ironed out the defense a little bit. He looked really bad at short, but I think he's ironed it out. I think he can be an average defensive shortstop. Just in time for Cleveland to move him to center field. Yeah, maybe. And, and he's, got, he's, very, he's got close to elite sprint speed as well. The talent is all there for Ahmed Rosario. It's going to take a huge change of approach at the plate. Do I think he's capable of it? I honestly don't know, but he's still 25. The pedigree's there. He's, I, I think he's got a four-war season in him. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's in him. And Sam, well, I think those are interesting players to watch. Uh, continuing a trend I, here. I, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to give Cleveland fans something to, to grab onto after they trigger the way Lindor. Okay, well, their lineup is not the place they want to be grabbing onto. And this is my weakness for the Indians. This is why they're not in the same tier as those other two teams. Because, oh my God, is their lineup bad. Especially because they still think they're going to play Jake Bowers. Jake Bowers is not a major league player. He is so bad and has been so bad ever since he came up to the big leagues. Like, I do not know what they are doing still thinking they're going to play him. Then they have Cesar Hernandez, who's whatever at second base. Andres Jimenez at shortstop, who Sam just profiled in detail. Obviously, Jose Ramirez is a great player. Who was robbed of the MVP last season, to be clear. Eddie Rosario, Oscar Mercado, and Josh Naylor in the outfield? Is that an outfield? Are you? Here, what here, is that? Here's the sad part, is that like Eddie Rosario is the, la- the best outfielder they've had in like five years. In like five <laughs> years? And that includes the World Series team. So, you know, take that with... Uh, Take that with a great assault, but oh my God, their their lineup is so bad. They're saving grace, and the reason why, if they somehow upset one of these two teams, it wouldn't even be that insane, is because Cleveland churns out pitchers out of nowhere too. They like Terry Francona just spits his fake tobacco juice onto the dirt, and a pitcher starts to grow out of the dirt. And that's how they got Shane Bieber. That's how they got Zach Plesak. That's how they got Aaron Savale. That's how they got Cal Quantrill. Like, their team is almost entirely players exactly like that, with the one exception of Tristan McKenzie, who's an absolute stud but had pedigree coming up. Um, I love their rotation. It's so young and so crafty. Yeah, like, I mean, they have, like, Bieber, obviously – Bieber, obviously, is the second best pitcher in the American League. You could argue that he's the best pitcher in the American League. I mean, but in 2020, he unarguably was the best pitcher in the in the American League. You know, exactly. I still think it's Cole, but and you know, pe- people are high on Plesac. I'm actually really high on Aaron Savale. All of Aaron Savale's underlying metrics are just so good; they are tantalizing. I would say. Um, and Tristan McKenzie, huge upside. Everybody likes Zach Plesak, son of Dan Plesak on MLB Network. And then Logan Allen, Cal Quantrill, Adam Plutkul to fill the five spot. This is actually the, the most complete rotation in the division. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I actually, the best pitcher in the division. I, I actually think the White Sox and the Twins are both like, they, they have, they're more proven to at two and three. 
they certainly have pitchers who've been pitching for longer there. And Lance Lynn's the best two in the league, no question about that. But they they have pitchers that are more experienced there. I guess Jose Barrios or Kenta Maeda, either way. But I don't know. I think so. If you take out the two, they're better at three, four, five than any other team in the league and the division. I apologize. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Um, so they they have it at the one, they lose it at the two, but then they win it at three, four, five, which means they have the most complete rotation of the division. And you know who's just awesome, James Karinchak. Just throw. okay. I, I'm glad you said that. Let me just say one quick thing on James Karinchak. Don't draft him. Whatever you do, don't draft him at the price he's going at. He's getting drafted like he is a lock to be the Indians' closer this year. He's not. The Indians do not do that, with the exception of Brad Hand that one season. James Karinchak, amazing. Obviously, you're salivating at that 15 Ks per nine ratio that he's got going. He's so sick. But their bullpen is stacked. Nick Wickren, Emmanuel Class, Phil Matone, Brian Shaw, all guys who can close have closed. And James Karanchik does have a six walk rate. If he gets shaky, he will not hold that spot down. Will he end up with the most saves on the team? Maybe. But he is getting drafted as the third closer off the board right now. He is not worth that price, people. Do not pay it. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I, I I think you nail it on the head with the Indians. It's like, you're never going to doubt that the Indians are going to pitch well. They There's magic in the water there. They know how to develop pitchers, and every pitcher always just somehow turns into a star, even though you don't expect it. Uh, and, and you keep thinking it's going to stop happening, and it never stops happening. Um, exactly. But yeah, the lineup... The lineup's brutal. Obviously, outside of Jose Ramirez, who I think is the second best player in the American League. Um, and my player to watch then, just before we move on, because I feel like we've kind of exhausted them. I do want to talk just a little bit more in depth about Aaron Savale, because I don't want you guys to think that I'm just coming out of nowhere here. So Aaron Savale, relatively pedestrian career, not super heralded as a prospect. Um, pitched well in the minors, uh, you know, struggled like all uh, pitchers. But here's the big, big thing for Savale. He has impeccable command. He's 89th percentile in walk rate, and his command plus ranking is like 130. It's very good. And he's not a guy who, oh, you know, he, he's a soft-throwing command artist. Sure, his fastball is about 92, which is below league average for sure. His cutter is 87 below league average. That's fine. But he throws six pitches, Sam. His fastball is his least thrown pitch. He controls them all extremely well. He tunnels them all extremely well. He has limited hard contact extremely well his whole career. He has so many signs that even just a small step forward would make him an extremely reliable, extremely successful pitcher. And it all starts with that command. And so I am a huge, huge believer in Aaron Savale this season. Is this going to be it? Who knows? He's 25. Pitchers these days are breaking out at 29, 30, 31. He yeah. could legitimately be four years away from, from hitting his peak. But, oh, my God, are all the tools there? 
to be a very, very successful pitcher, despite, um, you know, some of the seeming lack of stuff. He's got a lot of movement. He's got a lot of spin. So um, big on Aaron Savale. Obviously, that would be a, a huge boon to their rotation. Let's talk about number four now that we've gone through kind of the cream of the crop, and that's the Royals. Man, I feel like we talked about them all the time. There's not really much to say here, in my opinion, Sam. The They have a real roster. Yeah. Like, their roster is full of, of major league players who are varying degrees of good. I, I, was make, I was making fun of you, but their lineup's fine. Their lineup is, like, is good. If you hit Benintendi seventh or eighth in that lineup, don't tell me that that would be crazy because it's just normal. Um, but at the same time, no one on their team is really good besides Whit Merrifield, who's like a super reliable, like cool all-star type utility. Again, I wouldn't call him really good. Well, you know, I think he's basically a perennial all-star, Sam. But well, Isn't that just because you have to have an all-star on every team? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're just, there's nothing exciting. I mean, not that there's nothing exciting because they do have a lot of young players that are cool, but there's nothing that signals they have a shot to make a run at the division or even a wild card. There's nothing in the minors that signals, oh, they're set up. Like they're, you know, they're going to replace these aging vets with emerging superstars in two years. No. They've, they've done the worst of both worlds. We'll finish fourth for like the fifth year in a row and uh, will not be in a better position to win the division next year. So I'm a little disappointed. I did just realize they think Irvin Santana is going to pitch a lot of innings this year. And let me tell you, they, oh man, that's really something. I haven't seen Irvin Santana in years. Their starting rotation is not good. I mean, Mike Miner is pretty good. He's a major league pitcher. People are like excited about Brad Keller, I guess. I'm not really sure why. I don't really understand what about Urban Santana's 945 ERA last season you are not excited about. No, Brad Keller, I said. Yeah, you said you were excited for Brad Keller. No, that's I, fine. I said people are excited about Brad Keller. I'm not sure why I was saying. Well, come on. I mean, you've got to give Brad Keller some credit. He's definitely flashed, like, some major league talent. In his rookie season, he had a 3-5 FIP, and last year he had a 3-4 FIP. He's, uh, you know, not going to strike guys out. He's not going to blow your socks off. He's going to walk some guys. But at the end of the day, like, he's a pretty solid ground ball pitcher. He does keep the ball on the ground, which is certainly a valuable skill, especially in today's game where ball's in the air. And he's 25 years old, 6'5", 230, like with four pitches. Brad Keller is fine. I think Brad Keller has like a very kind of clear um, trajectory for a career in front of him and good for him. I think he'll yeah. pitch in the league for seven, eight more years. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I just, I guess, I think he has a very limited upside. Uh, well, no no doubt about that. His K rate's like six per nine. Yeah. Um I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's. I I gotta say, if I was a Royals fan, I would not be excited about the direction of this team. And I say that I, I'd be kind of mad because I. What are you doing? What are we doing? I I think they're they get a pass because they lucked into a World Series in 2015. Uh, but they're not a well-run organization. They they don't 
they develop players fairly well, so. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, okay. They they develop some players, but I I just don't think they have a sense of of they they okay. They don't have a good sense of what a competition cycle is. And they've done an incredibly poor job of pivoting from their core roster that, you know, made it to back-to-back World Series despite not deserving to win in 2015. Let me put it this way, though, Sam. When I think of a, a truly poorly run organization, say the Pirates, the Royals will win a World Series before the Pirates do so. Like, they are one, they could still pivot from where they are right now. They have so many guys under such long team control. They won't because I understand that Dayton Moore believes that the Kansas City area deserves a competitive team every year, whatever that means. Like, this is not a whole lot more competitive than selling Jorge Soler at his peak and winning four less games next season, right? Um, But, like, I think it's maybe not totally fair to call them a poorly run organization, but I understand what you're saying. They don't optimize their organizational tactics in a way that lets them compete seriously on a regular basis in today's game for their market size. But it's not, it's not even like they're like, Oh, we don't have much of a core, but we're going to make a run at a star. It's that they, they continue to make like sort of these medium moves, which are not actually signing star players, but signing like washed up stars who are like still okay but are not going to move the needle to make them close to competing for either the division or the wild card. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, But you could argue that signing one star, like if you take away Benintendi, Carlos Santana, and Mike Miner from this team, but you add Mookie Betts, like I don't really think they're that much better of a team. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, So it's, it's just resource allocation. Like the, the problem is, what they're trying to do on a, on a 5,000 level. They do perhaps have one star in the making in their organization. And he is my player to watch. It's Bobby Witt jr. Uh, love that. Love that. Son of Bobby Witt, who is an ex major league player. Uh, he is a shortstop. He's got a hell of a lot of pop hit like a 460 foot Homer in spring training was so thick. It looked like he might make the opening yeah, day roster was, was so impressive in spring training that it looked like he might make the opening day roster, despite initially no belief that he would see any time in the majors in 2021 at all. I still think they're probably going to hold him back. Well, well, who knows? Maybe they, no, they already said they're there. They already sent him down. No, I, I know he's not going to make the major league roster. I, I'm not sure he's going to play at all this season because it would be, silly to start his service clock now again maybe the royal i'm not sure the royals uh care about that uh but yeah he certainly looks like a star in the making he was the number two pick in the draft last year i think or two Mm -hmm. years ago but he's very very impressive and if he can uh if he can stick it short which it looks like he will be able to he's a star in the making and Tim, my player to watch was that Alberto Mondesi, but we talked about him last week. And frankly, I don't want to watch him all that much. <laughs> so uh, we're in the interest of time here, we're going to move on to the Tigers, if that's all right with you. So yeah, let's do it. The Tigers, as I alluded to at the top of this segment, 
yes, they're bad. But also, yes, you can kind of see some organizational structure and movement. I'm not saying that I think the Tigers are, are shoe-ins to rebuild and win the World Series in three years. But I just like what they're doing. They've given a lot of young guys a chance to play. They've developed some good pitchers, and it started with pitching, which is always the hardest thing to do. And they've made some like low-price, high-upside signings in guys like Renato Nunez, who I know is a little old, um, Robbie Grossman, and Nomar Mazzara. And they've also combined it with vets who provide a lot of value still. So I'm not even going to talk about Wilson Ramos, but Jonathan Scope has been quite a good hitter for them since he came over. Yeah, definitely. And I guess Renato Nunez falls into that category as well. And then, as I mentioned, they have a very interesting rotation. Tariq Scruble is a very interesting pitcher, and it's been announced that he's going to make the opening day roster. Casey Mize was a former top prospect in baseball, and he's not going to make the opening day roster probably, but he's in there. Um, you know, Matt Boyd had that season in 2019 that was like, whoa, who is this guy? Yeah. I, I don't know if they've got the core that can win at this point. Uh, well, sorry, not at this point. But like, I don't know if this is a core that you can build a championship team from. I don't know that. But at least you can see, in contrast to the Royals, right, where like they've got all these like random free agents that somehow amalgamate to a full team. The, the Tigers, you can see this approach towards trying to bring their organization back to World Series caliber, which they were in the early 2010s. And I appreciate it. Um, I am interested in them as a team. As I mentioned, I'm interested in Tariq Skubal. I'm interested in Matt Boyd. I'm interested in Jaimer Candelario. And let's see what they can do. They really lack positional I, talent, I, but maybe they, that's something they can find. I'm not sure he's going to end up in the majors this year, but they also, of course, have, have Spencer Torkelson in their system, who could be the best hitting prospect in baseball. That is true. I'm a little low on Spencer Torkelson, but there's no question that he is one of the top 10 offensive prospects in baseball. Yeah, and they, they actually drafted him. Everyone thought he was a first baseman, but they've drafted him with the intention of playing some third base. And if, if that's possible, like if, if he can play third, then with, with the profile of his bat, that would make him a hell of a lot more valuable. Yeah, I'll feel differently about him if he can play third for sure. Um, yeah, so for me, I don't know. There's a lot of guys on this team that I'm kind of watching, but I've obviously, you know, said it 10 times, so I might as well just live with it. Like, I want to know who Tariq Skubal is. He's a guy who impressed enough to make the opening day roster, and I get that he's yeah. a little bit older. He's 24. But, wow, he's never, ever given up runs until last year. But hold on. Last year, sure, he had a 5 ERA, and – that's concerning sometimes for a guy's first cup, but it was his first cup of coffee and it was only 32 innings. So how much do I really care about that? All of his advanced metrics are pretty favorable. He throws heat at 94. His fastball spin is 82nd percentile already. Doesn't get a ton of spin on that curve, but that's not a secondary pitch. It's the changeup and the slider that he likes. The question for Tariq Skubal, who looks like 
I don't know, obviously, but he looks like he could K-11 guys per nine, which is huge. The question is, can he develop the arsenal? He has five pitches that he throws at varying points. But my impression from the very limited video that I've seen of him, admittedly, because he only pitched 32 innings last year. I only caught one game. It looks like he doesn't really like have an arsenal. He has three individual pitches with two wild cards, but it's not a set of offering like the way that Trevor Bauer tries to craft all his pitches. You know what who, I mean? You know who he could be as a no. as a as a bad case, Robbie Ray. That's because you're looking at pictures similar to Tariq's Google no, based I, on velocity and movement. I, I swear to God, I'm not looking at that. Oh, on Baseball Savant, the number one guy similar to velocity and movement to Tariq Google is Robbie Ray. That's, that's, a, that's an incredible yeah. call for you. But yeah, I mean, I like him. I'm curious to see what he does. Is there a guy on this team that you're really, you're really kind of? I mean, I, I considered Scooble for my player to watch. I, I ended up taking Casey Mize, who's sort of their other big pitching prospect. Uh-huh. Mize, of course, you know, has one of, if not the best spliggers in the game. Uh, there's some worry about his injury history. I think he's, he's dealing with some shoulder issues now. You know, a lot of guys who throw a splitter reliably who are not injured. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, but, but when he's healthy, the splitter is, I mean, it's, 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 one, of the, it's one of the best pitchers in baseball or it, it, it has the potential to be that. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be a star, but I'm very interested to see him get some extended time to pitch in the majors and see how that splitter plays. Um, of course, the, in today's game, there aren't a lot of sort of split guys who work off the splitter. It's, it's sort of yeah. a bit of a lost art. Um, and, and he's only at about 17% usage, 18% usage on the splitter. But I mean, for me, Sam, like, I just want to know because he's a first overall pick in 2018 and he has less than 140 career innings across all levels, including the bigs. We just really don't know what this guy can be. And there's always been a lot of hype and like, he's kind of shown it over stretches, but ah, who is he? Like, like he needs innings. I need to see something that he does. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And that's why I want to watch him. And that's a great call. This is the only one you picked. I think that just wasn't very weird, (laughs) Uh, but I, we love the ball because you know, we're always, we're always trying to shake it up. We're always trying to do something interesting. And Sam, I have a surprise for you. What? That you didn't forget uh, over-unders? I did <laughs> forget about over-unders. I was going to lead you into that. And so why don't you read them off for us? All right. Uh, White Sox, 90 and a half. I mean, they got to be over. Yeah, I'm, I'm also going over. Uh, twins, 88 and a half. They also have to be over. I'm also going over Indians 81 and a half. They also have to be over. I'm going under. Uh, I, I don't think their lineup is good. And, it, but it, it hasn't been for years. It's, it's just as good. I'm, I'm less, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be wrong, but I'm, I'm just less excited about Zach Plesak and Aaron Savali than you are. 
Um, Fair enough. Royals, 73 and a half. Why did they make this so hard? I thought it was going to be like 76. I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, definitely under. <laughs> under, fine. I just like, Mike Miner will throw 170 innings, but you're locking yourself into a 4-5 ERA for 170 innings. Like, I don't know how valuable that is. Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. Uh, and then Tiger, 68 and a half. Under. They're just, I mean, unless unless Scooble and Mize combine for one full good season, I it's going to be really tough for them to win those games. Like, how many times can you throw Spencer Turnbull? Yeah. Hmm. This one's hard for me. I'll go. I'll, I'll go over. That's so sweet of you. The city of Detroit, <laughs> eight eight mile stand up. <laughs> I'd love to see Detroit finish fourth, and just the Royals be punished. Is there a point in your life, Sam, that you believe you'll be able to forgive the city of Kansas City for 2015? You know, it's. It's not the Royals' fault. It's just that it's just Eric Hosmer's. Partially, you know, you know <laughs> what it is. It's that if the Royals were the better team, I could have lived with it. But they uh-huh. were. They sucked. <laughs> and wait, weren't the Mets a wild card team? Yeah, but they're a good wild card team. Uh, and I just, I just got sick of watching. 14 bouncers going through the hole and Jessica Mendoza talking about how this was just professional hitting. I just couldn't handle it anymore. So I, you know, you're evading the question. What age will you be when you can talk about Kansas city without having to trash them for 2015? Give me a couple more years. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll check back soon. But uh, we will check back with you, Sam, way before then. We'll be checking back next week, as we mentioned, to preview the opening of the season, to talk about our playoff predictions, and to go through some accolades of choice that we have. Um, Of course, we did our favorite bets, but we didn't tell you who we think is going to win each award. So um, we will be back with that next week. Stay tuned. That should be dropping on Wednesday, regardless of schedules, because what could be more important than opening day? As I mentioned, I will be a newly vaccinated man, Sam. And uh, we will be ready to record. So thank you guys very much for joining us here today for the Alonso bet. As always, we've been your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Signing off, folks. <laughs>